The Holy Gospel according to John, the 17th chapter. After Jesus had spoken these words to his disciples, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for the words that you gave to me I have given to them, and they have received them and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf, I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. This is the Gospel of the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I did something that I have never done uh, in my life. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I served on a jury. Has anyone here served on a jury? Gosh, a whole lot of people at St. Philip Deacon have served on juries. And actually, I think they're coming after us right now. Um, a few weeks ago, our custodian was summoned to serve. Uh, then I was next. Pastor Valerie Strand Past Patterson is currently uh, calling in every day. Uh, one of our other staff members' husbands served in the last week or so. Two of our council members were summoned, and someone last night that was at worship also was summoned. So they must be targeting the western suburbs, I guess. Anyway, uh, it was a fascinating experience. I have a feeling it will prompt any number of sermons down the road. But what I want to focus on for this morning um, is something that the judge spent quite a bit of time instructing us on, uh, particularly before the trial even began and then towards the end as we uh, began our deliberations, and that's the credibility of witnesses. And she gave us, we couldn't bring our notes home with us, but I think there were eight or nine elements of how you might judge the credibility of witnesses. Um, uh, I want to lift up just a couple of them this morning, but I'm thinking of them not just because I happen to serve on a jury and it came up then, but also because it actually comes up in one of the readings for today. Uh, we are in the uh, last week of Easter now, the seventh Sunday of Easter, um, and in the reading from Acts, um, what we get is Jesus saying to his disciples effectively, look, I'm taking my leave of you now, and I will send my Holy Spirit to come and support and, and guide and direct you, and we'll celebrate that next week with the festival of Pentecost. But from here on out, this is sort of on you. Uh, you, my followers, and that means all of us as well, you're being invited by me to communicate God's love to the world, to communicate the message of the gospel to the world. And so if you look at the top of your bulletin this morning, 
the quote that's pulled out there from Acts, the first chapter says this. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples and therefore to us. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And so I want to talk again about a couple ways that we might think about how we can be more credible uh, witnesses. The first of which is actually related to the holiday we're celebrating this weekend, Memorial Day. Memorial Day, of course, is a holiday of remembering. We remember all of those who have given their lives in service to their country. Now, I want to lift up this morning a couple of Greek words. We don't talk about Greek or Hebrew often here, but if you were here last week, you will remember perhaps that Pastor Valerie Strand Patterson mentioned a Greek word, aletheia, which is translated as truth, but it actually comes from two root words. There's the a, which is a prefix that means not, and then there's the word lethe, which means forgetful. So you put them together and it suggests not forgetfulness or not forgetting, which reminds us that somehow memory and remembering is connected to truth. Now the way this works with the credibility of witnesses in a court case, you can imagine, let's say you have 10 witnesses who come up and testify to the same event, okay, that they are remembering, right? And nine of them, uh, testify remembering it in one particular way and they basically are aligned with one another and one testifies in a way that's sort of very different from those nine. So that impacts of course the credibility of those witnesses. Which are you more likely to believe? This is not a trick question. <laughs> the nine. That's correct. Uh, whereas the one who's sort of the outlier it might add some spice to the story, but you're probably going to think, okay, they missed something pretty important in what happened. They're not remembering it correctly. Now, the way this plays out in terms of our credibility as witnesses to the gospel, I think there are a couple ways. The first is what I'll call the corporate way, and I talked a little bit about this at Easter, and that is that over the course of 2,000 years of Christianity, the vast majority of Christians have recounted the same basic um, story about what Christianity means. And as Christian people, as followers of Jesus, I think it's our responsibility to also align our stories with them. In other words, we're called to be part of that group of nine witnesses rather than to be some outlier who's telling a different story. Uh, so that, again, is what I would call the corporate uh, understanding of memory or remembering and its importance with truth. The other one related to this is I would call more, more of a personal understanding of memory. And in my uh, own life, at least, I will tell you, it has been more obvious to me uh, how God has been present to me when I look in what I will call the rearview mirror. In other words, when I reflect back on my life, it's sometimes more clear how God has been present to me rather than kind of always understanding how God is present with me right now. So again, I think as Christians, it's our responsibility in our prayer life, in our meditation life, and so forth, to be remembering our own personal narrative and to be looking as we reflect on our past at how God has been present so that we can trust that since God was present with us in the past, that God is present with us today and will continue to be present with us in the future. And I think when we do that, when we practice that kind of remembering, it makes us uh, more credible in telling the story of God's love to people in the world. 
So that again is all under the umbrella of remembering or memory as one uh, way that we can think about credible witnesses. And again, I want to be clear about this. We've got a, a retired judge in the house today, Bruce, um, who I actually wrote earlier this week, and we have lots of lawyers. I'm a layperson when it comes to this stuff, so there are a whole lot of other ways you can judge the credibility of witnesses. I'm lifting up a couple that are, uh, they're not the most important, but I think they're significant. So the second and last one I want to lift up today is this. It's the question of, does the witness have some stake in the outcome of a case? Are they invested in the outcome? So you can, the obvious example here is if you have a defendant who chooses to take the stand, and in, our, in the case that I served on, the defendant in fact did not take the stand, but if you have a defendant who takes the stand, they have a pretty heavy investment in the case, right? They want to be found not guilty. Now that doesn't mean they're going to lie when they're on the stand, but as you listen to that witness, you're going to take into account the fact that they want the case to go a certain way. Conversely, if there's a person who is not biased, who doesn't have a dog in the fight, who is not going to benefit whether it turns out one way or the other, that witness is more credible. And in, in the case that I served on, in fact, there was a doctor that was called as a witness, and the defense attorney went out of his way to say, more than a few times that this person, this doctor, was not being compensated. And in fact, being there was costing him something because he was not able uh, to be working as a doctor. And I will tell you, of all of the witnesses that we heard, I actually found that witness to be the most credible. So again, the point here is if you are going to benefit from a certain outcome, it impacts the way people will hear you, and the converse of that is also true. If, you are going to, if you're making a sacrifice by your testimony, it tends to make your witness, your testimony, uh, more credible. And again, when it comes to our faith, uh, you look over the last 2,000 years of Christianity, and I think this is absolutely true. Uh, some of the people whose names you have heard, whether you know their stories well or not, are people in the Christian faith who have, in fact, witnessed and testified to the truth of Christianity, and in doing so have suffered profoundly, in some cases, giving their lives. So I think from the very beginning, the disciples. The disciples traditionally all died for the faith. That makes the testimony that they, that they gave stronger, more credible. I think of the very first martyr for the faith, uh, Stephen, who was persecuted and uh, killed by Saul before Saul's own conversion. I think of the tens of thousands of Christians in the early centuries who, again, were martyrs for the faith, who were willing to die uh, for testifying to the truth of Christianity. And this is the second Greek word I want to lift up this morning, and that's the word martyr. The Greek word martyr comes directly from Greek as martyr, and the word originally simply meant witness the word we're talking about here. It did not mean someone who died for their beliefs, it simply meant someone who gave testimony. It only took on that additional meaning of someone who was willing to die because of the witness of Christian people who gave their lives, who witnessed, again, the word martyr, um, for their faith in the early centuries. And you go through the centuries and you find the same thing. St. Augustine, St. Francis, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, certainly Martin Luther, uh, Mother Teresa, and on and on and on. All of those people in some real and profound ways sacrificed in order to witness to the faith, which makes their testimony more 
believable. I'll leave with a contemporary example of this. Some of you may know the name Rick Warren. Some of you have heard maybe of him. He, among other things, he, he co-authored the book, um, The Daniel Plan, which we did recently. Probably his most famous book, I think, was The Purpose Driven Life, um, which came out, I don't, I, don't, I don't remember how many years ago it was, but it was a huge bestseller. Uh, Rick Warren's a pastor of a church out in California, a huge um, non-denominational church. And this book, again, The Purpose Driven Life, sold a ton of copies. And one morning, I remember uh, Rick Warren was on one of the early morning television shows uh, talking about that book. Now, those shows, they, they don't tend to be super hard news. They, the, the interviews they do are kind of softball interviews. But when Rick, for whatever reason, the person interviewing Rick Warren that morning came out guns blazing. And rather than toss a softball to him, she said, uh, right out of the gate, she said, so, Pastor Warren, here you are talking about God and Jesus, and yet you have this best-selling book that sold a billion copies, and you're probably getting rich off of it. How do you respond to that? Good morning, Rick Warren. And uh, he's a very uh, thoughtful and effective communicator, and he just, he responded very um, immediately with, oh, that. He said, well, I reverse tithe. And she said, I'm sorry, I don't understand what you mean. He said, well, I reverse tithe, T-I-T-H-E, right? A tithe is a tenth of your earnings that historically you've given to the church. So he said, I reverse tithe. In other words, I give away 90% of everything I earn, and I live on the other 10%. And I promise you, from that moment on, both the interviewer and I would imagine the millions of people watching him realized, oh, that was a good answer. <laughs> and his credibility rose, you know, incredibly. Uh, all of a sudden, this woman and everyone watching realized, wow, he is putting his money where his mouth is. He is not just talking about this, but he's living it out in a way that is sacrificial. And all of a sudden, I'm willing to listen to him. I believe what he has to say because of that. I'll close with a quote. You may have heard it before. Um, it's, it's, it's disputed who actually says it or said it. It's attributed to a number of different people. But the quote is, as Christians, we are called to pr preach the gospel at all times and, when necessary, use words. Thank you for laughing. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. In other words, the prayer for us as Christians would be that our entire lives, not just what we say, but how we live, are consonant uh, with the gospel. And I pray that will be the truth for us, that we may live sacrificially so that our witness to a world that needs to hear about God's love is credible and believable. And I pray this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.